morning we are Ephesians 6. I'm just going to cover one verse. And when it comes to this material on spiritual warfare and the battle that we have as Christians, there's been so much confusion and so much not so good teaching on this over the centuries, frankly, and and it's changed what the problem with the teaching is, that I've, I've had to do a lot of work. I want to get this right. I want to really focus on this section. We're going to look at the issues. Next week, make sure you can hear what will be preached next week, because I'm going to, again, just go over one verse next week, verse 13, but then go into Jude and show how the New Testament is warning against false spiritual warfare teachings. Let's go to Ephesians 6 and verse 12. I'm reading from the ESV. Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. In the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let's begin with prayer. Thank you, dear Lord for your goodness and kindness. And may we have wisdom and understanding so we know exactly what is the battle that we're in and how we are to stand and how we are to be victorious uh, through your power. Thank you for all you've done for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So let's go to the beginning of verse 12, Ephesians six twelve. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In the Greek, it's an interesting terminology because the order is reversed. And it says we don't wrestle against blood and flesh. And is there a why to that? Well, we can't be sure. Paul normally would say flesh and blood. But one idea was this, that In a sense, we do wrestle against the flesh. Here he's talking about other humans, not our own issues as Christians in sanctification. So someone thinks he reversed it to blood and flesh, so there'd be no confusion. But it does mean against human beings. So our battle, our wrestling match, is not against human beings. And... This is very clear in this section. And then he's going to lay out what sort of beings we are in a battle against. And I'm thinking as I'm teaching on this, I've also been teaching through Acts when it's my turn to be teaching Sunday school. And we notice there's a lot of interaction in Acts with various civil authorities. But the battle that Paul was fighting was for the truth of the gospel. And that's where he always went. And so when Paul was taken in front of civil authorities, he appealed to them uh, because God uses civil authorities, according to Romans 13 and Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9, to keep order on the face of the earth so that the gospel can go out and so that God's purposes be carried out. By God's mercy, 
And we've done a lot of teaching. There's some material on CICMinistry.org about this. Eric and I went through this worldview issue that it's God's mercy that we're not directly under the hostile spiritual powers. In God's mercy, he divided out the nations and put them under civil rulers, and the hostile powers are in another realm. So we're going to be talking about that. Now, the term here for wrestle, pale, literally in the Greek denotes a wrestling match. And I did some research on this and consulted some of the scholars that I have available. And there may be a reason why in the context is talking about stand. We'll notice that the term stand, either to stand as a verb or stand as standing as a noun, would be used four times here in this section of spiritual warfare. So it's our job as Christians to stand firm. And I'll be talking about that a lot more next week. And let me read some uh, uh, material about what the wrestling match was like in the world to which Paul wrote. One scholar says this, the term pale is found several times on the Ephesian inscriptions for men who sometimes both wrestled and engaged in pancration, all-out fight. It's funny, we have those today, don't we? Don't they have some kind of a fight where you can kick and throw them around and wrestle and punch them? Well, they had something like that, okay? So there's nothing new. Continuing, a combination of wrestling and boxing. The main aim um, is of wrestlers was to throw the opponent off his feet through sheer strength and sometimes by feints and guile. The possible connection between wrestling and the panoply of weapons, says a scholar, and armor was that wrestling itself was traditionally part of the training for battle under heavy arms. Furthermore, it's possible, possibly more than a coincidence, that the goal of wrestling was to stand, histemi, and not be thrown to the ground. So you need to stand, not get thrown to the ground. So in the wrestling analogy that Paul's using, he's using in the context, Ephesians 6, of standing. Don't get thrown off your feet. Now for the Christian, we're standing firm in the faith, in the gospel, and our status as those who are the people of God, whose sins are forgiven, and who are in Christ. Now, there were other connections with magic, and I'll be talking about magic in the ancient world in these sermons this week and next. There's also a connection with magic. I've, I've used a lot of material from Dr. Clinton Arnold, who's an expert in the material that's been uncovered, especially in Turkey, where ancient Ephesus and Asia Minor was, in archaeology, they found inscriptions and material that gives light to some of the material here in Ephesians. So uh, here's what uh, Dr. Arnold says. Uh, there's a story from the Ephesian letters, which is material they uncovered, that connects magical material to winning in wrestling. And here's a quote. 
and they had Olympia when a Milesian and an Ephesian were wrestling, this says. The Milesian was not able to wrestle because of the other. The other was holding the Ephesian letters around his ankle. And when it was clear and they were taken off him, the Ephesian failed 30 times in a row. Unquote. Now this is mythical, but it's a story that, that shows us what they thought. So they're having a wrestling match. One guy has these Ephesian letters which has secret names of the various deities to which he was trusting tied around his ankle. They couldn't beat him. Hey, he's cheating. He's got this amulet. He's got this thing with the demon names on it. Took it off of him. And he couldn't win. Now, that's just how they thought. I'm not saying that's historically accurate, but the, the material shows that they believe that way. So they thought that these powers, and particularly to know the names of the power, it's, un, it's not to be doubted that the ancient people believed that if you knew the name of a being, you could invoke that being because you knew his secret name, and get him to do your bidding. And so that's why they had these amulets and these lists of names. They were hoping to cover all their bases. Now let me also cite some more from Arnold on this possible connection. He says this, quote, Although people living in this region thought that magic was effective and that the loss of it could prove devastating, Paul here presents a different perspective on spiritual power that vilifies the functionaries of magic as evil rulers and authorities under the leadership of the devil and points the Lord as the only source of spiritual power for believers. Now, this really helps us if we can understand it. The very people to which Paul is writing converted Jews and Gentiles in Ephesus were used to trusting in these various magical formula and rulers and authorities and powers. Okay, These are terms they were aware of. And they thought they had to have some in with some deity and they're going to be successful. And Paul is, is saying to the believers you must stand firm in Christ. Therefore, you won't get knocked off your feet. The very powers that you used to trust in and think you needed to know about are the actual beings that are fighting against you. And what Paul is teaching, and I'll really make this clear next week, is that these beings are answerable to Christ. They're answerable to the God of the Bible. And that if you are in Christ, therefore you know where you can go to appeal and to trust in order to be Strong and resist the devil in his attacks. So that's the, the main worldview issue that is being brought forth. Plus, it's also saying 
You're not wrestling flesh and blood. That's an important thing to remember. The flesh and blood is not going to be able to knock us off of our course of trusting Christ. They may be very hostile to us. We saw that in Sunday school. We're talking about the one, the mockers. It's absolutely true. The flesh and blood out there that's not serving God mocks us. We have politicians that mock us. They think we're a bunch of dummies and buffoons that have our God and our Bible, and that's ridiculous. We're supposed to trust in the world council or some dumb thing. And so we know how deceived the world is. But that's not likely what's going to knock us off our feet. The things that are so insidious that attack us are the forces behind those world powers and they're spiritual. So we're not, according to Paul, wrestling Roman rule or civil magistrates, but we're wrestling the power of darkness behind them. Paul does not promote civil insurrection. Let's go to Ephesians 1, excuse me, 612b. I had that wrong in my PowerPoint. Had to send out a last-minute plea to Christy. I got it wrong. Change it to 6. I had one. Ephesians 612b. Here's the but. Here's the alternative to the flesh and blood. But against rulers, against the authorities, the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There are some things here that we need to know. Number one, I have this on our, on the slide. We need to know that these beings exist. Let me tell you something. It's God's mercy that these beings are in the unseen realm. It's God's mercy that we're under civil government. If you don't understand that, if you don't understand Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9, we have a series, we did, where we cover that at CICministry.org. You need to know that. Okay? It's God's mercy we're not directly under the spirit beings. After the rapture and during Daniel's 70th week, the world will be back under direct interaction with the demons and Satan under Antichrist. All this stuff's going to get let loose again. The fallen angels from the time of Noah that are locked up in the abyss, they're going to get let out. It's going to be horrible. So let me just say this. As bad as the civil rulers are, they always have been. They're fallen humans. They're better than the demons. I know you're looking incredulous here. Are you sure they're better than the demons? Well, Nero was pretty bad in Paul's day, and he says that's not who we're wrestling against. But what are these beings? I have a slide that will come up that explain this. Now, the pagans, as I said, thought that knowing the names of such beings would give them 
the ability to invoke them for help. Now, this is not to be doubted any longer. Centuries ago, 19th century, early 20th century, for example, there was a lot of criticism of the Bible that it was based on mythology and folklore that nobody would take seriously. We had higher critical analysis. We had uh, just the doubt that there could be miracles, secular materialism. But that's not the issue now because that's not the world we live in. The thinking of people now is that there are nature spirits and that these things are real, but that we need to become in one with the spirits of the world and become one with nature and so on. So now no one is trying to say, or very few people are trying to say, there's, there's no such thing. For one thing, and I'll quote some of this to you, the archaeological finds show that this was exactly the way it was, exactly what they believed, and Paul had it right. Furthermore, Eastern religion has become so prominent in the West that uh, people went over to India, for example, and I'll bring some of that next week, and came back saying, yes, we can interact with the spirits. And we need to change the West, and we need to start interacting with the spirits. Because that's what everybody does. That's what everybody always did. But Paul is telling us that these things are real, and there is a battle, but Christians in our day is are misunderstanding the nature of the battle. I believe, I firmly believe that I need to deal with this because I understand it from my own experience and I know what's wrong with what's being taught. And they're doing this totally wrong. Please hear next week's sermon when I explain that Jude warns against it. People were doing that in his day. So we know these beings exist. We need to know the nature of the battle. What is that? I'll start on that today. We must not seek information from their realm that is not revealed in Scripture. Let me give you a preview. That's what's wrong with spiritual warfare teachings. Almost all of them are saying that we need that secret information from the realm of the spirits in order to defeat the spirits. We need to know the name of the demons. That's what some people teach. We need to know what caused the curse. We need to know what to say and how to say it. If we don't get it just right, the demons are going to get us. Christians are teaching that. And what they're doing is using occultism to fight occultism. It's insane. What is the scripture telling us? Look at all of this in context. Stand, stand, stand. Four times, stand. I'm going to show you the difference between standing and not from the life of Peter today. So there's a series of Greek words here, pros. Pros can mean toward, but used in this case with the, well, what they call the accusative, which would be the, the object of the sentence. But here, when you use pros with the accusative, it means against, sort of like a face-to-face battle. It's like the wrestlers 
who's going to throw the other one off their feet so they can't stand? So we're, they're trying to throw us over so we don't stand. Then we lose. Against is the correct translation. So we need to know how it is that we can stand in the armor of God and be victorious in this battle. Now, I have a slide that lays out the Greek words that are used here. If we could look at that, yes. And then I want to quote some more material just to show what Paul was dealing with in Asia Minor. So we have rulers. That word is arche. It's where we get the word like the beginning of the word archangel. It means ruler. These are not human rulers, but rulers in the heavenlies. Authorities, that's exousia. Cosmic powers, we'll see that in some of these quotations I'm going to bring you. Cosmocrator, excuse me, cosmocrator. And it says that these are cosmic powers over this present darkness. In popular evangelical literature, somebody wrote a book called This Present Darkness. But it teaches false spiritual warfare. It teaches that you got to interact with the demons. The standing in Christ isn't enough. We need to know what demons over what city and deal with that stuff. So, yes, it's good that they know that we're dealing with uh, Cosmocrator in this present darkness, Skotos, but get the battle right. I'm so alarmed. Either people don't even know about these beings, or they know about it and they go in a wrong way with it. And I'm very motivated this week and next to get that corrected. And then after that, we'll go through the armor of God. And I will show you, to give you a little preview, that every piece of armor is about the gospel. It's not about knowing the names of demons. It's not about knowing why some curse came on you like the pagans wanted to know. Because we've already found out in Ephesians chapter 1 that whoever is in Christ is blessed and not cursed. So Cosmocrator, the, uh, interesting, we sang a song about potentate of time. Um, Dr. Harold Honer translates Cosmocrator as cosmic potentates of darkness. Interesting. Cosmic potentates of darkness. That's what that's about. Uh, cosmos and then Kratos would be power. Potentates of darkness. And then spiritual forces, pneumaticos, and then that um, modifies of the evil, literally. Pneumaticos, spiritual forces of the evil. So the pneumaticos are spiritual beings whose essential character is wickedness. And these dwell in the unseen realm of spiritual spiritual reality, and they are fallen beings. So the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The cosmos is inhabited by fallen wicked beings that have our best disinterest in mind. 
And there's a constant battle. And Paul does, doesn't want us to get it wrong. He doesn't want us to be like the pagans, nor does he want us to be like the skeptics who think this is all mythology. We need to be informed, biblical, well-taught, and faithful Christians. That's what we need. We need to stand in the armor of God. And we'll see what that is. Now let's do some of these inscriptions. I found it amazing how it tells us that Paul had this all right. So the skeptics think Paul couldn't have written this or it was written 300 years later by somebody else. And all that, that stuff has been so disproven, it's basically gone away. The old-fashioned liberals got so much egg on their faces, they just quit claiming because every time they another dig would happen in Asia Minor, another liberal theory went out the window. Oh, this was how they believed. This is how it was. This is what they were talking about. Paul was right. So here's some of the things that we have here. Dr. Arnold cites this. An inscription found in a bathhouse in Rome reads, quote, within the quote, one Zeus... Serapis, Helios, world power, here's our word, cosmocrator, same word Paul used, unconquerable, unquote within the quote. And then Arnold says, in pagan folk belief, the word appears seven times in the corpus of Greek magical papyri as an epithet for various deities invoked in magical incantations. So this cosmocrator is a kind of power, and they gave names to various ones, cosmic potentates of evil, in order to invoke them magically to help. I know your name now. you got to help me. They knew stories like that wrestler. He had it around his ankle. Couldn't knock him over. How many people in our day... Are we more enlightened now? No. How many people put a necklace on with some ornament, whether it's to marry or some other thing? Well, we have, here's a, here's a good one to show how foolish is it. The guy most well known for bringing pagan deliverance teachings into the church, Bob Larson and his daughters, they, they charge thousands of dollars for people to want to get free from demons, and they show up with crosses that they probably got from the movie The Exorcist. And they're, they're invoking these things and pointing the crosses. How many of you know that the cross, as spoken of in the New Testament, is not a piece of jewelry? Do you know that? How many of you know that pointing a piece of jewelry at Satan doesn't really scare him? Why do they think it does? Because they get reactions. They're, they're learning from the manifestations. People writhing on the floor. People shrieking. No, no, not that. Not the cross. Well, that's working. The cross, the cross. How many thousands can we make off of this? It's wicked. It's insidious. 
I've been writing about this for well over 20 years. And it seems to hardly make a dent. I don't know how many. A lot of people have read my article and contact me, and I use that to preach the gospel to them. So they invoke these things. Here's another invocation. Here's a spell to Helios, which would be the sun god. Quote, I invoke you, the greatest god, eternal lord, world ruler, Cosmocratora, who are over the world and under the world, mighty ruler of the sea, Thalassocratora, or Thalassocratora, that would be the sea powers, come to me. I call on your holy and great did it wrong. Holy and great hidden names which you rejoice to hear. So this uh, person who's invoking it is calling on secret names, figuring that'll give power. Remember the sons of Sceva? I jure you by Jesus who Paul preaches? Didn't work. Did he got beat up. Uh, and then it goes on and invokes these names. In fact, it says here there were three dozen magical names in this particular invocation. They had phylacteries, objects, incantations, processes, initiation rites. They went through extraordinary effort to get free from these beings that Paul says they were wrestling against. And it wasn't just pagans. The Jewish uh, popular Judaism, especially Hellenized Judaism, had its same version of this. So when Paul is addressing the church, the one new man being built on the foundation of Christ the cornerstone, the apostles and prophets is the foundation, he's addressing converted Jews and Gentiles and in Asia Minor, whether they're Jewish or Gentile, they'd come from that world of invoking the spirits. Let me quote one from Pseudepigrapha, Testament of Solomon. Solomon didn't write this, but it was the literature they had. So here's a Jewish version from the Apocryphal Testament of Solomon. Dr. Arnold cites this, quote, I commanded another demon to appear before me there came seven spirits, pneumata, pneumata, bound up together, hand and foot. And when I, Solomon, now this wasn't really Solomon, saw them, I was amazed and I asked them, who are you? They replied, we are heavenly bodies, stoichia, we found that word in Colossians, rulers of the world of darkness, cosmocrateros, there's our word that we find here. The first said, I am deception. The second, I am strife. And they went down and listed names. So if you were Greek, you had spirits and names and invocations. If you were Jewish, you had spirits and names and invocations. And Paul is saying to both, now you are in Christ. You are blessed. You are seated with him. You're not under any curses. Because Satan can't curse anybody that God's blessed. So, the key issue is that the residents of Asia Minor would invoke 
the name of these cosmic powers for help. Paul tells us that there are enemies, right? They're asking for help from them. I'm telling you they're your enemy. These spirit beings have been in the created universe for thousands of years. They know their way around their realm and they don't want us to stand firm in the faith. So that's where the battle lies. Let's go to some applications. All believers are in this spiritual battle whether they believe in the existence of these beings or not. The reality of the fallen world of the spirits, the unseen realm, doesn't depend on what we think about them. What influence they have on us certainly does. Number two, the realms of darkness and light are spiritually opposed to each other and completely incompatible. We are not the world. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Number three, the only way out of spiritual darkness is through faith in Christ. Let me tell you something. The answer is so much more simpler than the problem. More simple than the problem. That was the the redundancy. More simpler is not correct. (laughs) So we got proofreaders. All right, let's look at Peter, Luke 22, 31 and 32. I want to start setting up this worldview that we need to grasp in order to stand, right? Luke 22, 31, 32. Jesus speaking to Peter. Simon, Simon, behold... Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. We saw a slide this morning, Sunday school, guy throwing the wheat, shaft blows away. So Satan wants to sift Peter. But notice what it says here. Demanded permission. He demanded permission. Now let's put this in a little bit of context. In Luke 22, 3, in the same chapter earlier, it says this. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And then he went off to betray Jesus. So Satan enters Judas... He leaves. Now we have Satan come up in the same chapter demanding permission to sift Peter. He already had Judas. Judas never came back. Judas never turned again. Judas is gone. He was with them, but not of them. He had a devil. He left. But notice here Satan has demanded permission. Now, Someone who's read the entire Bible and thinking about it has to think about Job chapter 1. 
Because remember in Job 1, Satan comes amongst the sons of God. And this is a heavenly council scene. And says, well, have you, what about Job? Yahweh says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, he's he's only serving you because you make life easy for him. Curse him, take away everything he has, make things bad for him. And he'll quit serving you, he'll curse you to his face, your face. He didn't say curse him, but take away his benefits. Well, if you've read Job, you understand everything went bad. A bunch of people came along to make it worse by com- com- comforting him. Have you ever had a comforter make life worse for you? Ah, it's all too bad, but you had it coming. I feel sorry for you, you dirty sinner. Okay, so that's what happened. But you have the idea that there is this heavenly council and that it contains good and bad angels. And even Satan goes there and he brings an accusation against Job. But see, God only allows what he's going to use for the benefit of his elect. So in this case, Satan, in a similar way to Job, has demanded, demanded, notice, permission to sift him. Now, if I was Peter, I'd say, wait a second, you didn't let him, you didn't give him a okay, did you? Well, he obviously did. You look at it. I prayed for you. Well, I would rather have him not sift me. Why let him sift Peter and pray for him? Because Peter's failures is what God is going to use to make him the man that he would be as an apostle. See, what we need to know, and this is very pertinent to standing, that if there's anything that's going to sink us or sink our ship, it's pride. Pride does come before the fall. It was pride that motivated Satan to rebel, according to Isaiah. And we'll see that here. I prayed for you that when you're, that your faith will not fail. And then when you have turned, turn there, epistrepho is a word used in Luke Acts uh, in connection with repentance and conversion. You could literally say, when you're converted. Epistrepho means to turn again. To turn again. Now, you is interesting here. Notice it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you. That first you is plural in the Greek. Now, in English, you is you, and the context determines. But because the specific in the Greek, Satan has demanded permission to sift all the disciples. You, plural, he's addressing the disciples. But then he says to Peter, not that he didn't pray for all, but he says specifically to Peter, I prayed for you. When you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Peter's going to fail, but he's also going to have a tremendous leadership role. He'll be the first preacher on Pentecost and elsewhere, the first one to bring the gospel to Gentiles in Luke Acts. So Peter's great, greatest need is for steadfast faith. 
dear saints, the thing that's going to keep you from getting knocked off your feet in this spiritual battle is steadfast faith in Christ. Because we see here, and I'll show you more next week, that Satan has to ask permission from God. If we appeal to ourselves, we'll fail. If we appeal to God, he'll make us stand. Keep that in mind. Now, this turn again, I mentioned, I've got the list. You can ask me afterwards so I don't run out of time here. A whole list of times epistrephos used in Acts in the connection of conversion. But look at what Peter says. Now, you'll have to turn to this. Luke 22, if you haven't already, I have on the slide 22, 31, 32, but I want to look at 33, 34. Luke 22, 33, 34. But he said to him, notice what Peter said, Lord, with you, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. So Peter was sure of himself. That's why he's saying a lot here by the Lord. You, Peter, Satan's going to sift you. Peter said, I'm not worried. I'll stand up to anything. I don't care what happens. I'm going to stand with you. He had confidence in himself. Verse 34, Luke 22. But he, the Lord, said to him, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you've denied me three times. Denied three times that you know me. We know the story. He said, I'll never do that. I'll go to death. And then he denied the Lord in front of a little servant girl. What about us? Are we confident in ourselves? Or are we confident in the Lord? Is it Christ and his promises that will keep us standing? So this ended up being a good thing because Peter found out he can't trust himself. And to put this in more context, if you're still open to Luke 22, let's look at verse 24, like Luke 22, 24. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which of them was regarded to be greatest. So thus it's addressed to all of them, the plural one. So they're arguing about who's the greatest. Satan's already entered Judas and he ran off. Peter's sure that he'll never deny the Lord. And so in the background of this narrative in Luke 22 is pride and self-confidence and the warning about Satan sifting and the need for conversion. Now, I'll make a comment about that. Jesus' prayer for Peter was that his faith faith would hold up under severe trial. Peter fails, but it is only temporary, and he does return in faith and becomes the one who announces the gospel on Pentecost and many times thereafter. There is a fundamental difference between Peter and Judas. Because I wrote an article about apostasy, I get emails from people who who are scared, they're alarmed. They say, I think I blasphemed the spirit, I think I'm lost, 
I don't think God will let me come back. I've gotten dozens of such emails because of one article I wrote. And so I always, to try to help such persons, maybe somebody here has gone through that. Is it impossible? Have I failed too many times? I say this, are you Peter or Judas? Judas ran away and never came back. Serve Satan. Peter came back. Even though he's humiliated, he failed so miserably. His self-confidence got him nowhere. He came back to the Lord. And so these warnings are not there to tell us we can't come back. They're warning to not be Judas. And bless him, Christ has run away and said, I don't want anything to do with it. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. But if indeed our gospel is veiled, it is veiled among those who are perishing, among whom the God of this age, the God of this age, has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they would not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So there is a spiritual battle. It is between darkness and light. It is between God and his gospel, his Savior, and Satan and the minions of darkness. And this battle is still raging. And believers are certainly a focus of attack. And so we need to get this laid out. And the issue is always back to the gospel itself. We'll see that when we uh, expound the items of the arm or the, of the armor of God. The gospel is clear and not cryptic. The whole occult process out there is cryptic. Secrets, processes, works. Do this. Learn this. Try this. On and on and on. Occultism. Occult means secret. The gospel is revealed. It's right out in the open. It's knowable by anybody who examines it. Even critics who hate the gospel can tell you what it is. They just don't believe it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. So Paul knows what he's talking about. Now, we don't have time to go there, but think about Acts chapter 9. We saw Peter who said, I'll never deny you, even if everybody else does, he did. But then he was turned, he was converted. Paul started out as a vociferous, angry enemy of Christ. He was railing against the disciples of the Lord. He was so full of himself as a proud Pharisee, he wanted, he had letters, he was on his way to Damascus, persecute the church. What happened to Paul on his way? He ran in to a theophany, a revelation of the one he hated. 
Saul, why are you persecuting me? Persecuting the church, persecuting Christ. Because he's our head. We're the body. He loves us. So Saul of Tar- Tarsus was, uh, was in spiritual darkness, was on an attack against the gospel. He saw a glorious vision of Christ who spoke to him, and then he was physically blinded. And he groped around in the dark until the Lord sent one Ananias, the good one, to speak to him, and then he might regain his sight and receive the call to be a preacher. Paul was converted. So Paul is speaking about what he knows. He knows what it is to be blinded, because he was. He knows what it is to be in darkness, because he was. He knows what it is to be an enemy of Christ, because he was. But he was converted, and the light flooded his prison cell, as it would later in Acts 16, when, when the earthquake got him loose, and the power of God came and brought them out into the light. And so he's saying that there are millions of other people, the whole world that doesn't know Christ, is in the same state that Saul of Tarsus was in. The God of this world, or age, Ion, is speaking of the temporary nature of this, is blinded people's minds. So how can a blind person ever see? How can someone in spiritual darkness come into the light? Well, the context for what we need to do is to preach the clear, true word of God. Now, I don't have a lot of time to go back earlier in 2 Corinthians, but he said, we've, uh, uh, we've renounced the hidden things because of darkness. We haven't adulterated the word of God. We've given you the pure, true word of God, unsullied, unadulterated. Because the light of God comes to us through the word of God. And when we see the armor, the sword of the spirit is the one offensive weapon. Then it says in earlier, 2 Corinthians 3.16, we don't have time to turn. Let me quote it to you. Jot it down, 2 Corinthians 3.16. But whenever a person turns... There's our word, epistrepho. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Uh, an illustration was given of Moses being veiled. Because it was too much for the sinful Israelites to even look on his face when he was up on Sinai receiving the ten words. The blindness, the spiritual blindness, is caused by the spiritual condition of the lost who are subject to the God of the saints. This is my statement. And thus, in his domain of spiritual darkness, they are themselves in darkness. But when the light of the gospel penetrated that darkness, as Christ did for Paul on the Damascus Road, they turned to the Lord and the veil is removed. And the light streams into the dungeon, and we arise and go forth to sight to him. The chains fall off. Are you in chains today? Is this spiritual darkness gripping your life? 
believe in Jesus Christ, the creator God, the eternal one, God the Son, came into our world, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection, which happened in time and space. He was raised from the dead. He shed his blood to pay for sins. The Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. When you are converted, epistrepho, turn away from the darkness to the light. Turn to Christ, the true light. Paul said it also in 2 Corinthians, jot this down, the next two verses after these. For we do not preach ourselves, by the way, I got to stop there. We do not preach ourselves. That's probably the worst topic any preacher ever thought of. So back to this one. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ, Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I'm not going to go to the eighth slide, but we're going to end on the seventh one. I actually put the eighth one in there because I knew I was only preaching one verse. I thought I might have time, but if I don't, that's all right. I preached on Colossians 1, 13, 14, and I wrote an article about it that's in our archives. Let's look at this one, though. John 12, 46. This is Jesus himself. Jesus said, I've come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. The issue about spiritual warfare has never changed. Satan is the god of this world, the god of this age. One of these, the rulers of this present darkness, part of his minions, his kingdom of darkness. And the way out has always been the same. Come to Christ, who brings light into the dark places. Everyone, Jesus said, who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Let me cite something from earlier in John, John 3, 19 through 21. But this is the judgment that light has, has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. When the light floods your heart, and like Peter, you're turned again, and you're serving God, and your sins are forgiven, and you're filled with the Spirit of God, everything's under the blood. You're not living in fear of being exposed because you're trusting in Christ. The accusations of the accuser fall on deaf ears because they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Jesus is the light of the world. Believe in him. Believe in Christ. You will have true light. That is the escape from this present darkness. 
next week, I'm going to go into the issue of spiritual technology and why it's specifically forbidden in Scripture. A lot of people don't know this. And we'll, I'll tell you why it's forbidden by expounding some other passages that relate to it. I'll cover uh, in the process Ephesians 6, verse 13. And then we'll go into Jude and Second Peter and elsewhere. So make sure you come back. Now, um, let me close with prayer. Not totally close. Close the sermon. Then we're going to have communion. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your glorious light. Thank you that we can believe you and trust the gospel and stand and not get knocked off our feet. And Lord, I pray that if there are any here who are struggling in this battle, are fearful, or even wondering where they're at, that they would look to you and stand firm. And if there are any who are still in the darkness, I pray that your light of truth would flood them and set them free from the prison of darkness. We thank you for everything you've done for us. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.